Good evening, everyone. Uh, uh, I'm going to be preaching from 2 Timothy 2, 14 and 19, so if you'd all just turn there with me, and I'll read that, and then I'll open in prayer. That's 2 Timothy 2, 14 and 19. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Dear God, I pray that uh, you be with me at this time as I share what I've uh, learned from this passage, and I pray that uh, I'd have a right motive in doing so, and pray you'd guide my words uh, and calm my nerves at this time. In your name, man. So, I know you probably all know the background history of Second Timothy by now, so I'm not going to go into any details about that. Uh, but it's uh, a letter written from Paul to Timothy to encourage him and assist him in uh, his dealings with the congregations. Uh, and even though it's uh, written to Timothy, uh, we have uh, a lot of application that can be pulled for, from it from us, for us, rather, uh, especially being uh, Bible school students and some of us being uh, potential future pastors. Uh, so in this passage that I'm going to be preaching on, uh, we see a warning from Paul, a call to teach, rebuke, and to live right. Uh, so looking at the first, uh, first part, uh, we see in verse 14, Paul warns of false teaching. Um, reading the first part of verse 14, Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. Uh, so here we see it, refrain from foolish arguments. Uh, when Paul is talking about these things, he's talking about uh, the things of, of life and death that he's discussed in the, previously in verses 11 to 13. And... Uh, I'm not going to go into detail about that because Mike already uh, went over it last week, but I'll read it for you to refresh your memory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Uh, so the tense used here uh, suggests that Timothy has been doing what uh, Paul is speaking of, and uh, Paul is encouraging him to continue on uh, doing so. Uh, the word charging means to test or protest earnestly. So uh, Paul is really encouraging Timothy to, uh, uh, to encourage the believers that they strive not about words to no profit. Uh, words to no profit meaning uh, that like arguments that like, don't need, they don't benefit the believer or they do more uh, negative than they do good. Uh, just arguments just for the sake of arguing. Uh, so moving on to the second half of verse 14, we see the consequences of failing to do so. Uh, that is the consequences of failing to refrain from foolish arguments. And it says, uh, but to the subverting of the hearers. Uh, the word subvert, uh, the Greek word that translates subvert, uh, is where we get our word, uh, meaning catastrophe, excuse me. Uh, and the, the term subverting of the hearers literally means turning them upside down. So here we see the, uh, the tragic and the the influence that it has there. Uh, it causes fellow believers to stumble in their faith and falter in their faith. Uh, 
and that's a, a big deal, and we should be a, striving to build up uh, fellow believers in the faith rather than causing them to falter. And so we, that's why we need to refrain from these foolish arguments. Uh, moving on to verse 15, we see Paul's call to study and teach Scripture with discernment and diligence. Uh, looking at the first part of the verse, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. And skipping to the last part, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, here we see Paul's call to action. Uh, the word approved uh, means someone who has been put to the test and has met the specifications or the requirements or standards of the person uh, putting them to the test. And in this case, it's God who's putting them to the test. Uh, it gives the image of a coin or a metal that's been uh, tested and has met the requirements and is pure. Uh, the word workman uh, suggests the hard work and persistent work that is required. Rightly dividing uh, gives the picture of a, a farmer plowing a straight furrow in a field or a, a mason cutting the stone straight. Some have suggested that it's uh, Paul speaking of his own profession of uh, tent making, cutting straight the fabric and the patterns there. And uh, just as a farmer or a mason or something like that, they don't just wake up one morning and they're professionals at their uh, job. So we uh, also need to work with uh, precision and diligence, and we need to work to uh, hone our skills of that which we are called to do, which is teaching and uh, preaching. Uh, Also, we see uh, in Rightly Dividing, we're not supposed to give our own message, uh, something that bothers us or something, message that we personally want to get uh, across to people. We're giving the message that's given in the text. uh, the message that God has already given. Uh, and our chief concern should be to win the approval of man rather than that of God. Uh, it's evil, easy to win the approval of man, you know. Someone can give wordy prayers and flowery sermons and all this, but they might not be uh, uh, approved before God, and that's what really matters. Uh, that moves us on to the next half of the verse, or the middle there, I guess it is, a workman that needs not to be shamed. And this is the result of uh, the action. Uh, ashamed, or unashamed, or doesn't mean just unashamed, but rather uh, not forced to be ashamed. Uh, when someone is like a can- held accountable for God, before God, they're uh, not forced to be ashamed. And the shame that uh, Paul's talking about here is the shame from God, not from man. Uh, It's important to notice that failing to cut straight the Word of God will not only affect the teacher, the people studying, but it will also affect the ministers as well. And uh, that's really important, uh, especially for someone who might be, well, like have a lot of followers, uh, like theologians and stuff. uh, When they're leading people astray, they're held accountable for that, and they're going to be ashamed before God for that if they're causing errors. Uh, moving on to verse 16 to 18, we see Paul's call to rebuke false teaching. First part of 16, but shun profane and vain babblings. Uh, when Paul says shun here, he doesn't mean just uh, refute. He's talking about uh, completely avoid altogether or regard with contempt. Uh, it doesn't even deserve the attention of regarding because that will just make the matter worse. A profane means common or unhallowed uh, as opposed to set apart or restricted as to its use for God. Vain babblings uh, comes from the Greek words voice and empty. Uh, and the word empty or vain is also found in a couple other places. I'm just going to turn there. First is 1 Corinthians 15.8. 
58, sorry. And that says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now that's getting the same message across, empty, empty labor. And also in Philippians... which says let nothing be done through strife or vain glory but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves Uh, again speaking of empty glory Uh, something interesting that I noticed while I was reading I can't remember where I read it when I was doing my study but it's, it was a quote that said, uh, empty words have the potential to be filled with evil. I think that's really important for us to notice because uh, things like empty arguments, uh, they can turn into other things. They can turn into things like uh, complaining, rumors, dirty humor, and stuff like that. Uh, corrupt communications. And Paul specifically speaks against that uh, in Ephesians 4.29, which says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And so there again we see the importance of uh, refraining from that. And then uh, second half of 16, we see the result of these empty arguments, and that's if they will increase unto more ungodliness. Uh, the word they is an indefinite subject referring to all who speak such things. And the word increase uh, gives the picture of a smith uh, lengthening or a piece of metal through hammering. I think of a, maybe a sword, a smith hammering a sword, spreading it out, like just taking what seems to be a small chunk of metal and spreading out. Uh, the word ungodliness refers to a person's attitude towards God rather than simply their character. Uh, their attitude is in direct opposition to a, a godly one. And again, uh, these arguments, they can affect more than just uh, the teacher, they also affect the, those that are listening. And then in verse, uh, the first part of 17, we see the spread of empty arguments. Uh, and their word will eat as doth the canker. I think it's interesting that Paul uses a vivid description of a disease entering through a wound in the body or something like that and Spreading through uh, the body, it shows the destructiveness and the the ease with which it spreads. Uh, I found a quote from Thayer, and I uh, couldn't think of a better way to put it, so I'll just read that to you. From the verb greo or grano, to not eat a disease by which any part of the body suffering from inflammation becomes so corrupted that unless remedy be seasonably applied, the evil continually spreads attacks other parts, and at last eats away at the bones. I think that gives really a vivid description of uh, the spread of these arguments. Then looking at the last part of uh, 17 and 18, we see the errors caused by these arguments. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, whom, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some? Uh, the term of whom are is a Greek idiom, uh, meaning to whom belong. So, talking of Hymenaeus and Philetus, to whom belong, <clears throat> excuse me, to uh, these arguments. 
we don't anywhere else in Scripture hear of a Philetus, but Hymenaeus is mentioned only one other time in 1 Timothy 1.20. I'll start at verse 18. This charge I commit thee, son Tim- Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest pour a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may not learn to bl- may learn not to blaspheme. So again, uh, Paul here is speaking of uh, Hymenaeus and again of his false teaching and how he excommunicated him, for, excommunicated him from the church. Um, it's assumed that the congregations and also Timothy uh, were well aware of Hymenaeus and Philetus and that Paul was using the, these two people as an example, only of uh, many others. Uh, and the word have erred means to miss the mark, and it gives the picture of uh, an archer shooting his bow and missing the target that he's shooting at. Uh, when it says believing that the resurrection is past already, uh, this is suggested by some to mean there'd be an early Gnostic teaching uh, where they'd believe that uh, the re- resurrection is spiritual rather than physical. And uh, it's easy to see how this could cause some to falter in their faith because uh, this would inta- imply that uh, believers are already in their glorified state, and obviously that's not true. Uh, not only that, it discredits the bodily resurrection of Christ, uh, which Paul specifically speaks against uh, early in 1 Corinthians fifteen, twelve. if you turn there. Starting at verse 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain? Yea, and we are, all, we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ not be, ra- be not raised, your faith is in vain, you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all, of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. Now in verse 19, we see uh, Paul's call to live according to God's foundation. Uh, Just reading the first part of the verse, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. Uh, The word nevertheless uh, shows the progression and contrast from the turning of some men from the truth uh, to the foundation of God. And the foundation of God uh, is believed by most to be uh, the church or the elect. And uh, some believe it to be a truth or revelation by God, or of God uh, in general, but I think given uh, the two-fold statements of the seal, uh, it's easier believed as the church. Uh, some translations translate it as the firm foundation of the church, and I like that. It, gives a, it means immovable. Uh, and the word standeth uh, means stands, has stood and is standing. This really helps show the permanence of salvation, which uh, is a vital doctrine to Christians. 
Uh, the foundation of God is unshakable because of this double seal. Uh, the men and women who make up the foundation of Christ, who have been stamped with this seal to show uh, them that they are his and remind them that they are not their own. And we see this also in 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20. says what know ye not that your body is in the temple is the temple of the holy ghost which is in you which ye have of god and ye are not your own for ye are brought with a price bought with a price therefore glorify god in your body and in your spirit which are god's uh, it's important to note what the purpose of a seal is it's uh, to show that it hasn't been touched and to show where it comes from in the possession of it uh so the first statement of the seal shows the security of the believer. And that reads, The Lord knoweth them that are his. And we all know uh, that God sees us saved uh, in all of eternity uh, due to his foreknowledge. And a verse that we can look to uh, to know that is John ten twenty eight. John ten twenty eight says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Uh, and some would argue that uh, people who like turn away from the faith, uh, they were saved, and then they were not saved after that. But we know that this isn't true. Uh, looking just at a couple, first at first John two nineteen. Uh, which says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. And also in Matthew 7.23. And that says, and then I will, will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work in Ecclesi. Okay, and moving on, the second statement of, uh, on the seal is, shows the purity uh, of the believer. And that says, And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Uh, this is a really practical statement, and it's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, those that claim to be Christians should live like it. And a salvation will show itself uh, through fullness, faithfulness, rather. Uh, and if we as believers uh, don't depart from iniquity and we're not living uh, godly lives, then what reason uh, would an unsaved person uh, have to think that they need to change their lives? Uh, and even more than that, a uh, new unbeliever, if they were to look at a, a seasoned believer and not see a difference from an unsaved person, what reason do they think they have to change? Uh, Looking, we have the perfect model for uh, this godly living uh, in Christ, and not only that, we have the perfect manual for it in the Bible. Uh, so, just to conclude, just to go over uh, points again, really practical points uh, that Paul is saying here is refrain from false teaching, study and teach Scripture with discernment, shun empty arguments, and live according to God's foundation. And I think uh, that these are really practical statements that uh, we can get from this passage in that. It, uh, if we follow them, we can really uh, encourage others and uh, live a more pleasing life to God.